Hello, my fellow sovereigns, and welcome back to another episode of The Princess and the Bee. I am so excited to be here with you and my guest today, Allison Arnoff. Allison is such a badass. She got her master's degree in engineering in the 80s, back when women were not doing that. She's been a trailblazer as the first or only woman in many companies in several roles. And she has been part of seven startups with six successful exits, as well as she has also worked at some of the biggest companies in the world. Personally, Allison is a former collegiate swimmer and retired triathlete who takes backpacks around the world alone, whether it's in the jungles of Guatemala and hiking the great walks of New Zealand or diving with bull sharks in Fiji. Allison has a different fear boundary than the average person and started her own company, Dare to Be, where she dares companies and her clients to be the best versions of themselves while being their fiercest champion and a powerful challenger. We got along swimmingly, of course. Allison had a near-death experience last year and defied the odds, not only taking her life back, but proving that when you make a choice to walk again, damn, don't try to stop this woman, because she will walk again, and she is. She is now more passionate than ever to help people dare to be. Some of the important things I really want you to focus on during this conversation is really listen to Allison's mindset of the beliefs she holds to be true. Like we can listen to the to the words of, that someone is saying or we can listen deeper into the beliefs that are behind the words that they're saying. And if you've struggled with courage or feeling like you were dealt a raw deal by life and you feel like you would like some, not just inspiration, because inspiration can be very surface, but an understanding of a belief that can be honed and practiced because everything you believe at one point or another, consciously or unconsciously, was a choice. And Allison has just chosen to bring those beliefs to consciousness and to make those conscious, forward-focused choices in every area of her life and it's proven great success for her and really listening to her mindset listen to the beliefs behind what it is that she's talking about because when you do those are beliefs that you too can choose now can decide to adopt and test and experiment how those ones work for you. Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Allison, welcome to The Princess and the Bee. It is an honor. It is just an honor to have you here. I'm so excited. 
Oh, thank you. I'm uh, I'm really honored to be with you. So this is a this is a fan fest going on here, I guess. Oh, I love it. It's just a it's it's a love fest. And <laughs> Allison and I met through uh, a group called the Dames that we're both a part of, which is a membership for six and seven figure business owners. And I had shared that I was looking for just some guests who could light my fire for all y'all. And Allison shared her story, and I was blown away as what she's accomplished. So Allison, can you share a little bit about not just your story of, of what you've accomplished in, in your in your life and in your career, but what your near-death experience really pulled into perspective for you? Well, you know, it's funny. I get that question a lot about what my near-death experience, like what's changed. And I got to tell you, the one thing I wrote about after it happened was I'm so grateful that I didn't need a life I needed. To, I didn't live a life I needed to revamp that there really wasn't a lot of regrets because I lived the way I've always wanted to live and do what I wanted to do. So there wasn't like, oh my God, I got a second chance at life. I have to start doing this. So it was really a great affirmation of the way I'm living. I always I already live with gratitude. I mean, I'm obviously, I'm grateful every day to be alive. Maybe I'm a little more grateful. I mean, the, the roses might be a little, you know, smell a little sweeter. The, the sunsets might be a little bolder but I've already lived that way. So that was kind of an interesting affirmation. There was some personal stuff like, you know, maybe you should be a little nicer to yourself, but I live a life, I already live an amazing life. So there wasn't a big overhaul after it. Can you go into a little bit about what what happened and what that near-death experience was like? Did you have a full like out-of-body experience? Did you see yourself? What was that, what was that like? Well, yeah, it was a little crazy. So I, um, it wasn't a slow, slow thing. So I had a, just to give a quick background, right? I was, when I was like 40 diagnosed with a heart defect that we knew about. And every year, you know, over 10 years, you know, 15 years, it was checked. And every year it's like, there's mild, there's moderate, severe, you're mild, see you next year, won't be an issue till you're 80. And then I went in August of 2019, same conversation. And then in March or April on an easy bike ride, I had some chest pain. And long story short, my valve had failed and needed to be replaced during COVID. And so my boyfriend drops me off at the curb for open heart surgery and it didn't go as planned. They weren't able to get me off bypass and had to put me in a coma-like state. It was really suspended animation for about six days. And then you wake up and nobody can be there that you know because it's COVID. And my eyes also dried out and got damaged during it. So I can't really see, I have to have a towel over my head. I'm hallucinating and nobody I know can be around me. And so it was pretty, the first few days uh, when I woke up were pretty freaky. Uh, when I was unconscious, I did hallucinate. I was like stuck in this sci-fi game thing that I was like a pawn. And then I kept coming out and back in and trapped. And so I was in, I do remember some sort of, you know, crazy simulations going on in my brain when I was unconscious, but it took about a week, week and a half before I was even coherent after waking up and knew what was going on. And then when the time I, you know, they were starting to get me stronger, we realized I lost ability to walk. I could barely feed myself. And my right foot was dropped, which meant I couldn't pull it up. So then you have to learn to walk without tripping over a foot, not knowing if it would come back because the device that kept me alive was on my groin and it compressed all the nerves in my right leg. And just background before this, right, I was a collegiate athlete, triathlete, you know, I'm not as competitive, but really fit. And all of a sudden I'm, I can't walk. And so it was, it was crazy. So as far as out of body, you know, you're just, and you're alone. So, you know, it's just trying to keep it together just trying to um, 
just stay focused and positive. And it, it was, again, you're doing this alone. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it's pretty freaky. And then I ended up having some challenges and back in the hospital a few more times and some more surgeries. I had collapsed lung and fluid on the heart and lungs and needed more surgery. And yeah, it was, it was a crazy journey. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. What did it teach you about yourself? You know, as much as I thought I could handle a lot, I can handle a hell of a lot more. But it also taught me, you know, I, I talk about this a lot. There's like just moments of choice in life. And you get to decide whether you're going to be a victim or a victor. And the second day I came home with the, I was on a walker and I looked at Chris, my partner, I said, no, a walker is not part of my story. I'm not going to be walker girl. Get rid of it. I don't even want to see it. And just held on to him and built my way back. And you just get to choose. And I chose that I wanted to get my, take my life back. And so I took it back. I mean, two months after the last hospital stay, I did a 20 miles of rolling hills on a bike. Oh my gosh. Oh my, that's so amazing because the power of choice, like so many people would take that experience and just, like I say, label a diagnosis, a death sentence versus you just were like, I'm going to challenge that and I'm going to make a new choice and create a new story. And so with that experience, did you always have that level of resiliency when you were a child? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was found out when I was in, I'm, I'm an engineer by, you know, by trade. And I, in fifth grade, my math teacher called my mom and said, the boys don't like that your daughter raises her hand before them. And mom never told me that that until I was 50. And I, I joke that I'm, I'm always been the girl that raises their hand before the boys and I don't care. I mean, for my sweet 16, I asked for a set of weights because I was a swimmer and I'm short and I ended up becoming nationally ranked age group nationally ranked at 16. Um, you know, I, so I was an engineer. Women typically aren't doing that. I got a master's of engineering in the eighties. was the first woman at most companies. I was at in my roles. Um, I walked away from a seven-figure stock portfolio to go to a startup because I didn't like the culture there. So yeah, I've always been fearless. I take my backpack and I go to all around the world by myself. I mean, I go to jungles of of Australia, uh, jungles of Guatemala. I went to Fiji to dive with bull sharks. So yeah, I've always I've always had this. Uh, yeah, that's so it's been my DNA. And it was funny we rebranded my company before this happened. Dare to be. And so, yeah, so it's like, yeah, I live my, I live my brand every day. You know, I, I dare to live life. I, I don't want to have any regrets. And that's why I'm lucky that fortunately I came back, but I didn't have regrets because I just do it. One year, I really wanted to go back to New Zealand. So I quit my job and just said, this is, I, I don't, I, I want to go to New Zealand. So I quit my job. I had no backpacking experience, had some terrible things happen, including my shoes falling apart on the second day of a trek. But I uh, figured it out. So yeah, that's who I am. <laughs> that's that's amazing. It's very Australian that you would you know want to go quit your job to uh, to go on vacation and to do something adventurous. That's uh, a very Aussie culture sort of thing. Yes, so, I know. I, I meet a lot of Aussies when I travel more than Americans because Americans yeah. tend to do that as much. We're not you know we're supposed to graduate college and go to work and do all that stuff. And yeah, I freaked my parents out all the time when I would bounce around and say, well, I want to take some time off to travel. And they're like, but you have a really good job. <laughs> and you're like, it's my life, my life. And I'm, I will get another good job. <laughs> With this, like, it's not a secret that you're a high performer and that you also have this immense faith that you have cultivated in your ability to figure things out. 
And what would you say as a coach, what are your some of your top mindset tips to really cultivate that that belief system that you can figure anything out? Well, you know, one of the biggest things is I'm a big fan of celebrations. And it's just that we get so focused on these big goals all the time. And if we don't accomplish them, we don't celebrate who we are. And to me, there's so many little victories. You know, yes, you want to run a marathon, but you never ran before. You ran around the block. Go celebrate. And I'm not just talking yay. Go freaking celebrate. And I think I've just always appreciated the moments. And, and for my clients, I try to help them set, you know, you know, find those moments to celebrate and really celebrate them and really appreciate who they are. Because, you know, a lot high performers, we're so busy looking at where we're not, we forget to look at where we are. And so my job is to turn people around and say, look at what you've done. Look who you yeah. are. And so, you know, my, my clients will tell you, I am their fiercest champion. I will believe in them so much until they catch up to me. Yep. Yeah. I've had many, many a client say that about me as well, because it's just the the champion mindset and the and the cheerleader having both combined into one person is so powerful. I loved what you said about the power of coaching on your website and why so many high performers like Oprah and Sarah Blakely and Hugh Jackman, they've all had coaches before they were successful. And so can you speak to the power of coaching and what really flipping our mindset around to look at why celebration is not only needed, but like required to move forward to, to the next level? Well, it's interesting. I, uh, we're, we're, I, I do continuous education. This guy was talking yesterday, Peter Bregman, one of the top coaches in the, in the, in the world. And he said, people don't have a motivation problem. They have a follow-up problem. Follow -up problem. We all have the desires, but then, you know, we get in our head and the bigger something is to us, the more obstacles we build up to do that. And a coach will help you see those things, those obstacles to help you find your blind spots, to help you find your biases. I mean, I get to be the person now that I wish I had in my career. There were times I was a bull in a China shop. You know, the boys didn't want me there. So I put that giant chip on my shoulder and, and probably could have done things a little differently and seen things. And I might've been a little more defensive than I should have been. Because I felt like, you know, because this company made me feel I had to prove myself. So I always felt like that. If I had had a coach, there would have been so much more grace in the journey. There would have been so much more understanding of how to walk in this world with other people. And as a leader, you know, there's always, um, you always have to learn how to motivate other people as well. And so the reason all these people have coaches is because they need a thinking partner. They need someone to see what they can't see. You know, you, you know, there's a great saying, you can't see the label from inside the bottle, which mm -hmm. is like a variation of the tree analogy. And somebody has to be outside and being like, no, you're actually doing good here. Or you know what, let's look at that. Maybe there was another way. How else could you look at that? What's the perspective? You know, one of the games I like to play with my clients is, okay, let's name that. And that might be the, the, the zoom in perspective. I'm like, let's go sit on the moon. And now let's look back. How does that look from the moon? Let's go to the beach. You know, and you just try to like realize there's so many different ways to look at things, but mm. they're just, we get so attached to, you know, and, and so intent on what we're looking at. You need someone to help you see things differently and think differently. When you're working with a client who's struggling with letting go of a specific story <laughs> and they've been telling themselves for years, this story, they know they have this story. 
they're fully aware because they're a smart human being that they have this story and yet they're not letting go of that. How do you shake that champion, challenge it so that they actually finally decide to create a new story? Well, it's funny. I, uh, I talk a lot about busting the stories and I actually wrote a little Dr. Seuss rhyme about busting stories, but it really is, you know, people, you become best friends with those stories. And so it's really hard because you feel like you're breaking up with a friend. There's something Mm. that story is serving you. And that's what we have to understand. Like, what is the value to you of holding onto that story? What is it? You know, the thing is these stories, they think they're helping you. These stories think I'm keeping you safe. If you stay exactly where you are, you know what you're going to get. And so to bust those stories, it's not easy because they're best friends, but we have to create other stories at the same time. The way in, in the, the, the scientific thing is we have these neural pathways in our brain, right? And we have to create new ones. Well, this one took a long time to dig in. So this is going to, the other, to taking a new one is going to take time. So we do have to start creating new stories. So we start finding out, okay, well, what would your, what would your favorite, what would your best friend say? What would your favorite boss say about you? You know, you, you try to take away the own, you take away them owning that story and let other people tell the stories and you create these, these counter stories. And then we find out what do they want to be true now? And then we also have to identify, so what's the gap and what is, is it because is fear, which is often right? There's fear. So is it fear of being seen, fear of success, fear of being too much? A lot of women, you know, sometimes if you're not being enough, other times fear of being too much. Oh my gosh. Yes. I see that one all the time of just like hiding and playing small just because they don't want to take up that space. Yeah. That, you know, the Marianne Williamson poem, you know, our greatest mm-hmm. fear. I mean, I've had clients, I've made, had clients read that out loud and someone gave me the tip to say, I, instead of, you know, my greatest fear and really have them speak that out has been really powerful and tears have been shed. Um, I also use a lot of humor. You know, we try to have some fun because when you when you can laugh with your clients, it just breaks that intensity of everything. And you got to have fun with it. You got to be able to laugh at yourself and and really, you know, that just it just takes the, the power away a little bit. Especially if you're like, oh, my gosh, there's that story coming up again, because I found that with so many clients and with my with my own journey as well, like it's not normally new level new devils. It's like new level, same devil but it's just in a different form. It's just maybe showing up in your finances or maybe in your relationship or, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's that, you know, not enough belief again, really? Like here it comes again. And just allowing for that that humor and that grace, what you said. So what beliefs did you have to reprogram? What, sto- what new stories were created through this near-death experience that you either recreated or doubled down on? How did you shift any stories of impossibility? Well, you know, when I worked for other companies, I would represent the company and now I'm the product. And as confident as I appear on the outside, you know, sometimes I'm that duck paddling underneath and it's really hard, you know, putting yourself out there. Do I have the right message? You know, I was really struggling a lot of times just owning how to, how to market myself and getting and doing like doing lives and doing all these things. And then when you almost die, you're like, seriously, I almost died. Do I really freaking care if someone thinks I look stupid? A former coworker is like, what the heck is she doing? You know, I mean, seriously, after what I went through, I really, excuse my language, I don't really give a shit what some of these jackasses I work with in technology thought, think of me now, right? So it became me bolder because after what you go through, you realize so much stuff we put weight on just really doesn't matter. 
Yeah. That's probably the biggest thing for me. So it sounds to me like um, the fear of people, like the fear of rejection, the fear of judgment was one that definitely got shed. Have you seen it since your near-death experience come up again and in, oh, in like a different way? Oh, yeah. It still comes up. You know, it still comes up. You know, my I, I've always been really fit and I lost some of my fitness and I'm working on trying to get that back. But some medication makes it harder to do that. And so I've always presented myself, you know, you know, that's always been something for me with my confidence is how fit I was. And now when the clothes don't fit as right, or you don't feel as good, even on camera, right, it comes up. And that's when, you know, I have support in those moments, right? So I know that instead of trying to just be in that all alone, I have my coaches, because you never want a coach who doesn't have coaches. Uh, (laughs) But I have the people that help help me learn to find that grace when I get frustrated that my recovery isn't as fast as I want. Like I had that great successes afterwards and you have some relapses. And so, yeah, the voices come back. I mean, I I don't think they ever go away. I think you just have to shrink them and know how to put them in the shelf and you just need to create other counter voices. And so I have my champions in my life. Yeah. I think I think that's such a testament to what to what you said of like you never really want to trust a coach who doesn't have coaches because <laughs> then like you're not practicing what you preach. Though while I don't think you always need to have a, be actively working with a coach, you have a support network of mentors and coaches and people that you go to to seek out perspective. And so what were some of the greatest perspective shifts that you've had along your journey? I mean, especially being such a high achiever and doing these, like leaving your job to just go backpack through New Zealand, even though you've never done it. What were some of the perspective shifts that that sense of daringness, that adventure has given you? Well, it's just a confidence. I mean, I re- <laughs> it's funny. I uh, When I was leaving engineering to go into sales, I had this interview and they said to me at the interview, you know, this is a startup. Things are going to go really fast. And we wonder if we can, if you're going to keep up. And my response was, well, that's funny. I'm thinking I'm going to sell the heck out of your product. And I'm wondering if you can keep up with me. And I got the job. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And I got the job. Right. And yeah, there's just always been the confidence that I know I'll be okay. Like I, I believe in myself. So it doesn't mean I haven't had challenges. It doesn't mean I didn't work for companies where some people didn't want me there because a strong woman that wasn't always wanted uh, instead of realizing I was an asset, it was somehow I was a threat. So there were people that definitely tried to put rocks in my road in the path. And some, and I tripped a lot in that path, you know, you don't stay this resilient all the time. I am human. But yeah, but there was just always this firm belief. Like I never, I always went into a job or when I was in sales, a deal, like it's already done. It's just a matter of, do I want it? You know, do I want this situation? I have to ask, like, what was your childhood like to, to form this level of like resiliency? What, what beliefs did your parents teach you growing up that, that may have shaped you to have this level of just like audacious courage that I so admire? Well, you know, my mom's pretty audacious too, but you know, it was a few things, you know, my, we, we were raised by my grandma who has a very, very long, that's a whole nother show, immigrant story. And so there was this, you know, there was a little bit that we got you to this country. You're going to do well. Like my sister and I both got graduate degrees and we didn't know we could say no, like we were programmed and we we're both athletes and we were pushed. We were pushed maybe sometimes a little too hard, but they also like my mom, one thing my mom and dad never made me feel like it was weird as a woman that I liked math and that I liked lifting weights and that I wanted to be an engineer. And I did the stuff with the boys and like my mom never discouraged. She didn't tell me until I was 50 that my fifth grade teacher 
didn't want me raising my hand before the boys, right? So I really, they just, they always made me believe that anything I wanted to do, if I put the work in, I can do it. And so that was really great that uh, my mom and dad never thought like, oh, but you're a girl, you shouldn't be lifting weights, you should be playing with toys and yeah, or putting makeup on. There was just, uh, uh, you know, there was always that way with me. And I just, I think for me, I also like, I'm very curious. And so travel was a big curiosity. So my first trip was actually to Australia. I did. Australia. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and that was, it was a great experience because I learned so much and then I started, you know, just expanding and, and going more, but I'm driven by curiosity and I just know that I'll land on my feet. Like I believe in me. What has that curiosity? Cause this is a topic I talk on a lot with uh, many clients and on podcasts is just the difference between curiosity versus judgment. Cause I think so many people are, are conditioned that their initial reaction is, is judging themselves, judging their ambitions, judging what it is that they want to do, calling it silly or stupid or like whatever versus being curious about like, let me lean into this. Cause that was always something that was part of my success that led me to find my fulfilling career that I have now and, and the business that I have now because I was so driven by the curiosity to find that fulfillment piece. Well, you know, there's always going to be the two forces pulling on you. It's just which one do you give the louder voice to? So that sounds like you and I are the ones that give the louder voice to the curiosity uh, than to the fear. I mean, the judgment is fear, right? There's fear of being mm -hmm. or We talked about that before, right? So I think it's just the curiosity is, you know, what can I create versus should I create? Right. There's just, there's also that the dialogue and the verbiage you choose with yourself. Should I do this? Am I good enough? Or, Hey, I'm curious what this will look like if I do it. So yeah. there's just, it's just, it's just a, the verbiage can change the tone so much. And, you know, the way we talk to ourselves is we have to talk to ourselves the way we would, we talk to others. And, and it starts with that and, um, you know, changing that paradigm from what I can't to what I can. Yeah. And from that criticism to curiosity, just because, and I love, I love the example of instead of should I, like, what would it be like if I did? What, what kind of picture? Yeah. What's possible? What's That's possible if I, if I chose a new story? And I love that question to my clients. What's possible if, you know, mm. whatever, you know, what's, and then, you know, and then the, one of the things you always got to ask them is what can get in the way? So you got to figure out, you know, once they come up with this dream, what's going to get in the way? And then, you know, if we don't identify that, then we can't remove it. Yeah. Yeah. And what have you noticed are the biggest obstacles that people put in the way? It's the stories they make up. There's a fear of something. There's a fear. A lot of times it's a fear of being seen for women. I coach men and women, but for women, it's really owning their power. The fear of what if I fail? I mean, if you go to just a great analogy is, or story is that when it comes to funding, I do a lot of uh, consulting for startups and I, I, I coach a lot of people on their pitches. And if there's 10 criteria to go for funding, if there's a man has one out of the 10, he's like, I'm going for it. If a woman has nine of the 10, they don't think they're good enough to go for it. So it really is about changing that dialogue of, of this fear of because of whatever they've been, they've been told in life. And I've been lucky that I'm the girl that would probably be one out of 10. I'm going to go for it. And so I try to teach my clients how to, you know, see the greatness of what they have. Again, not looking at what they don't have, but what we have, but as women, we can be so hypercritical because we feel like society judges us so differently. And we just have to not, I call it inherited beliefs. We can't inherit these other people's beliefs of us. 
And so we have to identify, know that those are other people's stories and we have to replace them with our, with, with better stories. Um, one of my favorite coaches has a line, if they're all made up, if the stories are all made up anyway, let's make up good stories. Oh, I love that because the power of your story, especially like with what you experienced, if you had had a different story around your capability, around what was possible, like you just went in and defied doctor's beliefs and just went for it. Um, and that's something that I so admire. I had that with my pregnancy with my first son where I had doctors saying like, oh no, you you can't give birth naturally because I had you know placenta previa and then, oh, he was going to be too big a baby. And then he was going to like, he was overdue and and there were all these beliefs and i just was like no no this is this is what i want this is what i do believe is best for my child and this is what i'm doing and there was a level of almost defiance of that a lot of women i think back down from especially when a quote-unquote authority comes in and says and says oh well this isn't the case this isn't so so how can women in particular navigate when those what i call plagiarized programming the 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 yeah. adopted yeah. yeah inherited beliefs come in especially from someone from a quote unquote expert or authority where how can we like just aikido that so that it just doesn't get in our path anymore well, I will tell you, first off, I want you know say that, you know, the journey when I made that decision wasn't always like a straight line, right? There were times I didn't want to get to bed and cry. I mean, I had an amazing partner on the journey. So having having someone in your corner is really great. But I'll give you an example. When I first was going to call on the CIO, chief information officer of one of my biggest accounts ever, oh, the night before, I'm like, why would he talk to me? This guy runs, you know, one of the biggest utilities in the world. You know, Southern California is like its own country. And what value can I have? And it was really being shown that he has his zone, zone of greatness, but I have my own zone of greatness. And there's something that I can add to that conversation. And it turned out to be my biggest, most successful relationship in the history of my, uh, of my corporate part of my life. But it really is to have people own their greatness and see what they're good at. But it's all, and then the other piece is the perfectionism, right? You know, perfectionism is, is a fear. And it's just that, you know, I have a client who is so amazing and, and driven, but the perfectionism gets in the way. And so we have to do a lot of it is you have to go back afterwards and debrief. You know, okay, mm. you weren't perfect here. What happened? And it's like, oh, the world didn't fall apart. So there's, a, you know, it's a lot of, you have to do a lot of evidence. I think with women, a lot of evidence and a lot of emotion and just positive. And you just, again, you have to create these other stories uh, for them. And, and you have to... The other thing is you got to set micro goals because when you're trying to bust a story, they're not going to go and do the other thing all the way. Right. I don't believe you. I don't, I, I don't, if the comfort zone's like a bubble around you, I don't believe you have to pop it. You can just, we can start pushing at it. Now there are some clients you can pop it, right. You got to see who that yeah. person is, but if they're really rooted in it, you got to just start pushing on it and, and creating those little wins and celebrating those little wins. So you know, they're not going to go lifting. They're not going to go from five pounds to 500 pounds, right? We're going to have them lift five and then we're going to celebrate and then 10. So I believe in micro goals and start having them see the successes and see the victories. Um, I've, I've had clients, they've had to write up a hundred things they like about themselves. And it sounds corny, but usually you get stuck about 20 or 30. No one mm -hmm. ever really gets to a hundred, but it really is. And, and I don't need them ever to read me the list. What was the learning in that process what did you what can you own about yourself now 
And so, you know, I, I don't have to do that too often, but occasionally I've had to have women like I had a woman like, I don't know why they hired me. Okay, well, your homework is to tell me I want you to write 50 reasons they hired you 50 reasons that they're lucky to have you. And so sometimes it has to get back to the basics of mm. them really looking in the mirror and owning it themselves, because if I say it to them, it's okay, and they might do it. But when they write it down, you know, they really start taking ownership of it. Yeah, and that's something that it, no matter whether you're a coach or you're a friend, like, even if you reflect back and you say, oh, my gosh, you've accomplished this, this and this, if they're not owning those accomplishments, it literally does not land. Nope. And it's that it's that that landing piece of how does that land? So what were some of the micro goals that you had to set along the way to your your recovery after your near death experience? Uh, I went from walking one house to two houses, to three houses, to, um, you know, around the block, to holding his arm, to holding his hand. You know, each one of those was a major milestone. First time, you know, I couldn't get my dog home until I could walk him. Um, just, for, you know, that was one of the motivations, you know, so I wanted my dog home. So it was like uh, doing all that. But yeah, you just celebrated like today we went to the corner. You know, yesterday we only made two houses. And those were big. I mean, I got to tell you, we needed to celebrate all of those things because if I had looked at the whole thing, I would have cried in bed and depressed the entire time. So yeah. really celebrate and, and having someone to celebrate that with us, with me. I mean, I definitely would not have be where I am if my partner didn't, you know, when the days I wanted to stay in bed, didn't let me stay in bed. So true. Having, having a kick-ass partner is like, is essential. But yeah, um, one house to two houses was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I have noticed is that especially with high achievers, there comes a point where we are so skilled at achieving that it's not like we're comparing ourselves with anyone else anymore. But we do start to compare ourselves to who we have been, to where we have been, like like what you said about your your fitness. How did you overcome that comparison of like you used to, you know, lift weights, you used to be super, super fit? And how do you navigate that comparison, which I think can be more challenging than when it's somebody externally? Oh, I'm navigating it right now. And, uh, and not always good, but, you know, today I, uh, you know, because a big part of that is, men, you know, I'm at the age of menopause. I saw a doctor today and we have a plan. We have a four month plan to get me back to muscularity and all of that. So I figured out what was getting in the way of it. That was the biggest thing is, yeah, I'm bummed. I, you know, and it does get me down and I get, and my friends tell me I'm too hard on myself. And my response to them is I'm okay with that. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think being hard on yourself is a bad thing as long as it's not obsessive and I'm not in joy, but I hold myself to a high standard and it might be higher than other people do in their life. And that's okay. I've also accomplished things in my life and can live a life differently because of that. So it's, it's hard, but you know, I worked with someone today. We have a four month plan. Now we know exactly what I need to do with uh, my diet's good, but with my, what, how I have to shift my exercise, what we have to do from um, to counter the, the 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 changes that the hormones are going through. So you know, I I, I did the research and I found somebody that can help me solve specifically what I what I want to do. But it's hard. I mean, I'm not. I will tell you, one of my my coaches will tell you, I'm not very good about grace to myself, and I'm working on it. But I also don't want to be complacent. So that's finding that balance of drive. And grace is something I struggle with uh, a lot. Yeah, same here. My husband will tell you that he he says it's astounding how you can be so hard on yourself sometimes. And I'm like, well, I hold myself to that higher standard like you do. And so being able to give that grace, I totally, 
understand that that piece of it where there is that that dance of that balance of of grace and also gumption and gusto and go for it and having that that dichotomy because the gusto and gumption and go for it i don't think you or me have that have a problem with that (laughs) at all no and it's like my partner he's like you know he still thinks i'm the sexiest thing you know that should be enough and i'm grateful for that that's obviously wonderful but it's not for me because that's how i want i mean I define myself, like you said, by my standards, not compared to anybody else. I mean, you do. I mean, you do look at that. Oh, I wish I was as fit as that person. I mean, I'm human. I have those moments. I'm not going to lie. Right. But I, I hold myself to the Allison standard and it's a high standard, but it served me really well in my life. Yeah. One of the pieces that I found for, for me after giving birth was like, loving on my tummy because I'm like, I ain't going to have this for forever. So I might as well enjoy this like fleshy belly for right now. And oh my gosh, if you had told me when I was 19 years old and super hard on myself and bulimic and struggling with all that, that I would be like loving on having like a little tummy because I'm like, it's, I know it's going away. I have that trust with my body that it's not going to stay forever. I know myself in that way. So being able to have that, that grace of, of loving on the pieces that I know are temporary. Yeah, I'm not there. I have to be honest, you know, for me, it's like, you know, but I, um, it's funny, I have a choice at this point, I could either get a new wardrobe, put money in towards a new wardrobe or get, get help, you know, figuring it out. So I chose to uh, not get the new wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. What is on the horizon for you as as you're still in the process of recovering for um from this experience and and still building your company what's on the horizon for you well you know i uh, unfortunately i've had a few little few more and more medical things come up so it's just a constant fight and i allow myself to be sad and cry and scream for a couple of days and then get out of it and say okay i'm you know time to time for resiliency in my business some exciting things i think you know i have a, I have a facebook group women who dare to be and it's for leaders and founders and it's really focused primarily on confidence and communication in the workplace i'm going to be starting a mastermind for women founders i've worked for seven startups and i've had six successful exits and again i've been a vc if you've you know the shark tank i've basically ran a shark you know shark tank uh, for a company for a while so i'm i'm starting a mastermind for women founders help them develop their confidence and their pitches for their business. Uh, so those are the two new things going on. They're building the Facebook group and uh, the group. I still do the one-on-one coaching. And also now with this pandemic, a lot of companies are struggling uh, when they're bringing big people back in. So doing a series of workshops on reconnecting the disconnected office and mm-hmm. helping the teams you know, get back to their values and their core and start trusting each other again. So lots going on, but you know, for... The biggest thing is, you know, the Facebook group, which is helping people really see how they can I give them lots of little micro tips every week. You know, one on Tuesdays, they get their their communications tip on Thursday. They get their confidence tip. And hopefully um, they're starting to, you know, pick up little things that will help them, you know, get their swag. I love that. I love that. And so how have you navigated doing both? I mean, you've you have a successful six figure business and having all the health issues. How did you navigate doing that? Again, it's a choice, right? I wanted my business, but I mean, I had to stop working. I wanted my business back. I want my health back. I know that I can do in probably three hours what some people do in 20 hours. So I just know that you just get it done. And I also know that like, you know, I, I had a, a friend with some health stuff this week. So the business, you know, the, the things like I consult, so they paid me to do the work. 
or my clients would do that. But, you know, so my marketing gets put down. And if I'm a little a week behind my goals, that's okay. So there's a little bit of grace in that is like, you know, the people that are paying me, uh, I'll show up. But if I'm, you know, doing the marketing stuff, sometimes gets put aside if the health, if the health stuff comes up, um, it is what it is. And my clients, fortunately, you know, I haven't had to put off any clients because of my health. Um, I'm living a mostly, you know, 95% of the time, pretty good, normal life. But yeah, I just made a choice. I want my business back and I just believe that I can figure it all out. So I am. I love that you operate by that belief that you can just figure it out because so many people, if they just trust it and that, like that belief is what I have noticed is like a key pivotal difference between people who have long-term success and people who struggle is the ones who struggle believe that they should have success and they're shooting themselves versus the belief that they can figure anything out, whatever fears come their way or whatever, whatever challenges come their way. So looking yeah, at uh, one of my mantras is I'll always bet on me. Amen. Amen. Imagine what this world would be like if more women adopted that belief of just actually betting on themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, hopefully that's, you know, again, I, I was at one that wasn't, and that's my mission now to help as many women as I can dare to be right. Dare to be the greatest version of themselves to own their, to own their, their amazingness and put it out in the world in a way that, that, that fulfills them. Yeah. So I know we have a lot of uh, coaches in the audience. And one of the things that I always love to ask any coach who comes on is really how did you find your clients? How did you start to generate your clients? Because I know with a lot of new coaches, sometimes they struggle to like, where is this like mysterious client pool that is mine? So I'd love for you to speak into that a little bit. Well, you know, I mean, you've been around the world already sometimes. So, you know, people and it's to start with your known people, you know, um, and you you got to, you know, I'm very clear on, on who I help so I can make it easy for them. Right. You know, one of the things I tell them is I help women get out of their own way that don't even know they're in their own way to hit their goals in their life. Right. Who do you know? So it's who do you know that needs to know me? And you know, when you talk to people, it's more, you know, it's just showing up with curiosity, catching up with somebody. And if and, and, and when they hear what I'm doing, it's like, how can I help you? And they'll introduce me to people or they'll connect me to people uh, when as the world is opening up. You know, I go to a lot of networking events. You know, you know, you got to find out where your people are and how to connect with them. The connection might be through people, you know, it might be through a Facebook group. It might do a networking event. But if you don't know who your client is, then you're just then you're spraying and praying. So I know I, I focus on a certain type of person, a certain type of age range, a certain type of business. And I, you know, when I reach out to my former coworkers that liked me, they already know me, like me and trust me. They know that introducing me to somebody uh, will actually makes them look good. Oh, I love that. Oh my gosh. I want you to say that again for the cheap seats in the back, because that introducing like so many women don't think that because of the self doubt, they don't see that by someone introducing someone making that referral, it actually makes the other person look good especially when you deliver and can deliver those results. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, why we, you know, I know everyone's like, okay, well, I got to do this. I got to do ads. I got to do this. But there are people that know you already. When you're building a business, you know, maybe the first clients pay you $25 and then the next one will pay you 50 and then 75 until you, you know, just, but just go get to start coaching. And start seeing what resonates with you. What are the stories you're hearing? What are the, the common themes that are coming up with people, right? And also, what's your journey? There's a great saying, your mess is your message. 
So if you think about this beautiful field of snow, I know you don't have that in Australia, but we have that in parts of America, your beautiful field of snow, and you've trudged that path through it. You've gone through something. You've made that path easier. What is that path? What have you learned and what have you created in that journey? What have you moved aside that you can show others how to do it? So your mess is your message. Create that path in the snow and just go talk to people. You just, you gotta, you can't be a success if you're a secret. You just gotta start talking to people. You can't just sit behind your computer. You gotta be talking to people on the phone. I know in Australia, you're just coming out of, you're a little more lockdown than we are. But oh you know. no, where where we are in in Queensland, it's like it's business as normal. There's just a few places in Australia that are are yeah. struggling. But talk to people and see and, and what resonates. And when people share challenges and you know what they're going with, the question is, you know, would you like some help with that? Or who do you know that needs to know me? It's such a good question. Yeah, I think it's because it, I remember when I was first starting out in my business that. I would get very caught up in what I call productive procrastination. And I know a lot of my audience does this where they're, you know, posting on the socials, they're doing all the things except for talking to people. And that's really what going on podcasts and having conversations and starting conversations in Facebook groups and starting conversations with your existing network, being curious about how, how can you serve, not pushy and salesy, like, a bad salesperson of like, you need to work with me because that's kind of arrogant. But from that perspective of, of curiosity and service. Just be in service. You know, I, I've, I spend a lot of time coaching people uh, initially before they're ready to, to make that commitment. Cause a lot of people, this is a very new concept, you know, um, especially I'm a very traditional coach um, from, from that standpoint. And so they, they, you know, they need that experience, but yeah, just be curious and serve, you know, don't serve people who aren't asking for it. You know, as a coach, you have to self-regulate, right? When you're catching up with somebody, you're not going there to solve their problems. You are generally going there to catch up. Um, so you have to you know, make sure of that. But if people know and like and trust you, they want to help you. Just, yeah. And you don't have to have it all figured out yet. Just say, you know, I'm curious. This is, I mean, people pivot who they talk to. I mean, most people pivot about three times before they land on what their real business is. And so give yourself permission to be imperfect, permission to not know all the answers, to not know exactly who your client is, what your program is going to be, how much you're going to charge. Just go talk to people. Yeah. And you'll figure it out. Yeah. And your clients and the, through the conversations, you'll see what people, what you're attracting and what people are needing. And from that, that will guide with the programs that you create and the processes you that you help put people through. Yeah. And serve like, you know, we're in this group, like right, the dames and we, we make ref referrals to other people, be a giver, you know, be a giver. And it, it comes back to you in spades, but serve others. So if you're always, if you're in the mindset of, I need to make money, you know, that scarcity mindset, that's a different energy you're going to put out there. So mm -hmm. really figure out if you need to meditate before you reach out and make the calls or go for a run or eat chocolate or whatever that is that gets you in that frame of mind. Um, you eat know, a lot of chocolate. That's, I've, that's one that I've never heard. So I'm going to I'm going to start doing that before my lead generations. Whatever it is, right? chocolate <laughs> makes me happy. So I eat chocolate. <laughs> my doctor today said I, as long as I told me what kind I can eat as much as I want, I'm like, awesome. But, you know, um, yeah, but just you got to be in that frame of mind, because if you're going in there, you just got off your, you know, with your accountant or you're just looking at your bank account and then you get on the phone. That's not the right space. 
So, yeah. you know, it is hard and I get it. And it's not easy. It's very difficult to build a business if you haven't done it before. And there's going to be doubts, but you have to be in motion. And yes, hiding behind, uh, you know, in, a, in groups or, uh, you know, just commenting, that's not in motion. You need to be having one-on-one -on -one conversations to build a business. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is the little known but known secret because it's so counterintuitive to why I see a lot of coaches get started in a, in a business because they're like, I want to create a course. And then it's like this program and you push a button and it's on autopilot and money just flows in. And I'm like, you need people and conversations and people that you who know, like, and trust you. And there's nothing better than a conversation to build that know, like, and trust factor. Yeah. And, the, or you get like, oh, I'm going to get the website and I'm going to do an opt-in. No, go talk to people. Just I know, I know, I know wildly successful coaches that don't have websites. You just need to be in, just start in conversation and see what shows up and pay attention. Again, what are the common themes? What am I learning? Um, but you also have to be able to, you have to be comfortable to ask for some sort of continuity at, you know, something at the end, right? Um, would you like some help with that? Would you like, you know, let's set up a time, you know, I, you know, I can coach, I'd love to gift you a coaching session if you're up for it. Or who do you know that needs to know me? Great. Um, how are we going to follow up? When should I follow up with you to see, you know, what you talked about? You can't leave it open-ended. You got to sit down and say, great. So you think of these three people, okay, it's two weeks Tuesday at four o'clock. Would that be a good time to set up a follow-up call to see how your conversations went with them? You need to make sure you are not just throwing it out to the universe. You have to own it. And so that's one thing a lot of people do is they get in these conversations and then they don't do anything to follow up with them. Follow mm -hmm. up is where the money is. That's exactly speaks to what your, your mentor said on the class that you were on, that it's not motivation that people have the problem with. It's the follow-up. It's the continuation of that commitment of, what it is that they're going after and being very clear on that. Now, how did your background in corporate really prepare you to have a business? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, I really struggled when I started. I quit cold turkey. A lot of people, you know, work, but I, I, my dad had died and the, the boys club and it was just like, yeah, I'm just done. And, and then I, uh, so I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. It took me a while to, uh, to figure it out. But I think what the corporate helped me is that, one section of the clients that I coach are people in corporate. And so, especially in technology, I live, I live that world. So there's a shorthand and I understand like when they don't have to sit there and explain to me what the tech industry is about, what the unique challenges of it, I can play that theme to them. So there's a shorthand. So I think the fact is that my, I know my lane, again, I, co I coach people outside of the tech industry, but I market primarily to the tech industry because I'm one of them. And so I think that's what my corporate experience is. And, and because I had some really terrible bosses, it helped me realize what a re I, re I really had to help with leadership. So those bad bosses at the time, I didn't enjoy, but boy, they've given me a lot of material. <laughs> they definitely do any sort of, I found that just the mistakes and the, the, when you see somebody else's stuff in their business, you're like, oh, dang, because that's how I was with my e-commerce company. I saw exactly why our business was struggling because of the the mismatch of values that my partner and I had. And that is what I really work on with a lot of my clients is getting very crystal clear so that their teams are in alignment as well so that they're not just, you know, going off with a passion. It's it's they have some foundation pieces that are there so that they know who's a who's really a match to work with as a 
partner or as a team member or as a client? Yeah, I do a lot of, so values is the, was the first session with me. Normally as a coach, the client sets the agenda. I hijack it for the first session. And that, and a lot of that is on values. And one of my favorite stories is I was working with this guy and then the pandemic hit and he was like, oh, and we had his value map. We created all his interview questions for the value map. He is at the draw, the job of his, he never thought it is like the, it's like, he can't believe it every because he knew we created every every value was a question and he is at his dream job he, you know first he's thinking oh bummer i got let go and now he realizes it was the best thing that ever happened to him and this guy is like his life has changed just because he understood his values and that's oh, so it's really powerful that hit me in the feels allison like because when people find that sense of alignment whether it's, you know, having their own business. Some people think it's having their own business. And some people actually find that, like, I would say about 20% of my clients, they initially come to me to help them build their businesses. And then and then about 20%, they're like, actually, there's this other business that I could be a supplemental asset to that actually 100% aligns with my values. I have autonomy and, like, decision-making. So it's like they have the business, but without having to wear all the hats of the financier and the bookkeeping and the the sales and marketing and having to do all that, they just get to live in their genius zone. And so when someone can find a, a job that they just love, it's imagine the workforce that could be transformed. Oh yeah. I mean, I stayed at the jobs that paid me really well that didn't align with my values. Some did, you know, but my, my top three values are service, integrity, and freedom. So being in a, a job where I'm monitored, you know, you know, I have to be reachable from like 6 a.m. to midnight and even on weekends sometimes was really rough and uh, integrity. A lot of the people I worked for didn't come from integrity and I like to be in service. They're like, get the deal. And I'm like, well, I'm going to take care of the client first. Mm. Um, and so for me, when I left, I'll tell you how bad it was. I thought I'd go for one more. I thought about going for one more company. I got violently ill the day of the final interview. My body physically shut down. It's like, if you, we've been trying to give you signs that your journey in this corporate is done. And my body, I probably should have gone to the ER instead of the airport for that final interview. But yeah, and that, so it really was a big wake up call. My body saying, no, you are done. You know, I don't know what else, what other plagues do we have to throw at you for you to realize that it's time. And then, and then I took a month off and did what I typically do. I went to Guatemala and Belize for a month, went to jungle, sat in a hammock on a river in the middle of a jungle and realize that I'm going to, uh, it's, it's time to go out on my own. Ah, oh, so powerful, Allison. I have loved our conversation and I would love to jump into a little bit of rapid fire. Are you ready? Oh, okay, <laughs> I'm a little scared. <laughs> eh, I'm not the best at brevity, so rapid fire is not that, have no fear. And I'm not scared. <laughs> you'll, you'll be, you'll be fine. So, who is your favorite female character in a book or a movie and why? Ooh. Well, okay, I'll, I'll say this. So the first Wonder Woman movie, the Gal Gadot character, because she was so committed to her values and who she was, that 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 was, I think that was something that was really powerful was besides, you know, the, just a commitment to how she wants to walk in this world was unfazed, no matter what was going on around her. It was was pretty great. And she was the first on the battlefield in, in front of all the dudes, kind of like someone else. <laughs> <laughs> like she just there was this really like clear that you know what her role was in life and her fulfillment and her you know what her point her purpose was and she was not going to let anybody talk her out of it because many did try so i'd say that would be probably one 
what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Like be in their body, see how they think, experience their life. I'm a big fan of Mel Robbins. So I would love to, I would love to do that for see what her world is like for a day. If you had were to have your success at twice the speed, what would you do differently? I would probably pay someone to do all the stuff I don't like more. Uh, the marketing, the things and then the follow up and the keeping track and the billings and all of that. I would give that to somebody else to do more than I already do. Let go of more of that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite book? Uh, Shantaram. And it's the story of this Australian guy who's in prison for dealing drugs, breaks out and goes and lives in India. And he goes from living, you know, the, the, with the expat life to the slum life, to the high life, to the thing. It's an 800 page book. And it's one of, it's my favorite book, Shantaram. Is it a fiction book? Yes. Well, it's, it's loosely, it's based, it's an exaggeration of a real man's life. So he got, when he got arrested at the end of it, he goes, he's writing it on like toilet paper in the prison, but he definitely uh, takes a lot of liberties with his life. So cool. That's cool. I want, I have another fiction. I love fiction because I do think sometimes in the personal development world, we can get a little caught up in uh, personal development books and yet our subconscious mind, it speaks in story. And so sometimes we can learn so much from a fiction book if we just allow ourselves to be open to that. Sometimes yeah. those can be very impressionable. Yeah. So what is your morning routine like? <laughs> it's funny. I used to have a very strict morning routine because I was an athlete. So I would get up and, you know, go for a workout because, and then go to work. Now I, I'm lazy bum, especially after when I'm a lazy bum in the morning, I wake up, I'm with my iPad for a while in bed I get up and I take the dog for a walk and I make breakfast. And then, you know, I'd say like every other morning I'll go for a workout. And so I don't start my day till about nine or 10 if I can help it every day because I put my time in. I'm trying to start meditating in the morning. I, I'm not consistent on that, but unless I have to, I don't get up and jump out of bed. I, I'm a slow morning person because from the time I was seven, I was in a pool at five or six o'clock in the morning or, you know, having to be on the road early. I'm a slow roller. Yeah, you've earned those slower mornings. I find that the morning routine really does change according to the season of life that you're in. And yeah, I totally resonate with that. What would you consider to be your kingdom? The ocean, the world, you know, I'm a scuba diver, I'm a stand up paddle boarder, snorkeler, I live a block from the beach. So yeah, if I could be a mermaid or a dolphin, easily, easily fellow mermaid right here. Yep. My husband thinks it's, I live a block from the beach as well. And he's like, you could just dive into the ocean anytime. Yep. Yep. And lastly, how do you crown yourself? Well, you know, as a, as a hyper achiever, I'm not as good at that as, as I should, but it really is. I, I celebrate all the micro victories, the micro wins. So how do I crown myself? I have to try to think of, I don't know, you know, I feel like I crown myself every day. You know, every day is, is like, yeah. So, I mean, I'm good to myself. I, by living in choice, I crown myself every day because I am in service to others, but I'm, you know, you put your, you know, you always put your mask on first. So yeah, I probably crown myself by, I live life the way I want to <laughs> every day is probably, you know, what I do. I, I, I am, I'm very mindful of how precious the time is here even more so now. And so I crown myself every day by living each day the way I want. Like if I don't want to market today, I'm okay with that. Oh, I love that. Oh my goodness. 
You hear that, Queens? That was kind of a ramble because that was a tough one. So hopefully I got something coherent out of that. <laughs> oh, you did. Totally. And lastly, where can we find you? How can we work with you? Plug yourself, Allison. Well, my, my brand is Dare to Be. And I'm going to have a, because it's late for me here. Let's see if I can remember all my URLs here. I'll pull them out here. But it's I Dare to Be. Dot com is my website. I dare to be seen. You can show up in my Facebook group. And if you go to I dare to be more, you can learn how to get out of your own way. So I dare to be seen and I dare to be more. And it's the number two because one is mindset and two is skill set. I love that you put that much thought into the into just having it be a numerical thing instead of it just being the word. Well, no, the numerical came first and then the words came after, but you know, everything's an opportunity. <laughs> amen. Amen. <laughs> so yes, go to daretobe.com and learn more about Allison, the work that she's doing in the world. As you can see, she has a very resilient mindset. And if that's something you're looking to cultivate, then definitely get on over to dare to be join her group and explore what it would be like to work with her. As always, my fellow sovereigns, own your throne, mind your business, because your reign is now. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.